0: Gaining independence in 1991 after the fall of the Soviet Union, the Republic of Uzbekistan is known for its incredible history, mosques, and mausoleums. Situated along the historic Silk Road trade route, Uzbekistan boasts diversity in its culture and people, as throughout history, travelers shared and traded art, languages, culture, and ideas. I learned a lot from my friend who spoke about her beautiful country of Uzbekistan, she shared that there is so much governmental regulation, people don't really talk about conflict, as it has almost become normalized as they have learned to live under governmental control. Uzbekistan has had only two different presidential leaders since its independence over 30 years ago. Talking with her regarding culture, we came to a realization that young students with international perspectives are molding a new type of global culture and awareness, separate from their own ethnic cultures. We are learning to be more open-minded and informed creating a new global citizen culture. We spoke about how it doesn't take away from our current culture or traditions. However, it supplements who we are and allows us to have conversations and learn about each other. We understand that we might not have come from the same path, but we all want to go in the same direction.
1: Like There's almost like a, like a separate culture within like, international schools and stuff like that or like very shared, you know, because a lot of people have like very shared experiences, stuff like that, that almost makes, creates its own culture. The differences that we have are, they become less significant because of this influence that we all have.
0: Hello, everybody. You are listening to EVAN Worldwide. On this podcast, I'm going to take you on a journey around the world. You will hear young people's perspectives on culture, conflict, and cuisine. So let's go.
1: Hi, I am 17 and I'm from Tashkent,
0: Uzbekistan. So my first question is, would you say that there's a lot of conflict in Uzbekistan?
1: If we're talking about in terms of war. There definitely isn't that much conflict in Uzbekistan, particularly. There are conflicts in countries surrounding us. So there is like a lot of tension on the borders and et cetera. But if we're talking about internal conflicts, there definitely are a lot of issues. But because of the kind of mentality, people don't really get to talk about these issues a lot. And because of that, there are not many conflicts internally.
0: Okay. I think it's interesting that you were talking about the specific mentality. What... What is this mentality that like Uzbek citizens have?
1: Yeah, I think the mentality comes from this um, governmental system or like this government where everything's like very much silenced and censored and uh, people really don't have that much freedom to kind of speak out and, uh, you know, voice their concerns, per se. So uh, eventually this kind of governmental control has developed this mentality where people just tend to not uh, talk about such issues and people tend to just kind of comply and yeah. And even if there are issues, um, people tend to like not see them at this point. It's not that they're not talking about them, it's just people kind of don't see them because it's seen as the normal now
0: you know yeah because okay. that's
1: how things have always been yeah all
0: right so i'm guessing that you know like there's the censorship people don't really have the freedom of speech
1: yeah that is true there is uh the censorship is uh, very prevalent like it's very much there and uh when it comes to like news sources stuff like that there's only um limited amount of information that they can kind of talk about and uh it has to be very kind of from the point of view of the government and um because otherwise it's scary kind of for them
0: well so you would say that that lack of freedom of speech creates conflict in in Uzbekistan
1: No I would uh, my point was that it's the opposite because there's that lack of freedom of speech people just don't talk about issues and stuff so there are not many disagreements you know and
0: oh
1: there is not much conflict internally like okay, okay. Uh, like in Kazakhstan right now, As you might know, there are a lot of the first massive protests kind of are taking place. And that would not be something that would happen in Uzbekistan. You know, even if people were unhappy about something, that's not something that would happen. However, what is happening right now in Kazakhstan is kind of giving countries around a lot of hope, I guess.
0: All right, I get that. So I want to ask this new question. Since Uzbekistan is a post-Soviet country, has there been any problems created because of like the break from like the downfall of the Soviet Union?
1: Mm-hmm. So I think back in 1991 is when um, Uzbekistan gained its independence. Once it gained its independence, there was obviously like this question of who is in power, right? And it so happened to be that power went in- into the hands of, where it stayed for like till now, pretty much. And the president that we had, well, the first president that we had, he was the president till uh, 2015, 14, I'm not sure. Well, pretty much up until his death. And then um, it kind of stayed in the same hands even after he passed away. The president that we have now, he used to be the prime minister, a close friend of the president. And pretty much all stayed uh in the same the power is very like focused. It's very it's gotcha. not spread out. And yeah.
0: So it's not spread out. Like it's the yeah. one the leader is the the president yes, is the one that very, has
1: it. although we have like election to an extent they're very performative because nobody knows what the real numbers are. Nobody knows if the numbers are faked or no and there is no that transparency. Um, there is uh, transparent like a performative transparency for sure but nobody knows you know <laughs> it's the gotcha. just people
0: yeah um I'm just curious considering that the first president his reign I guess ended because of his death did that create a lot of conflict politically
1: not very uh <laughs> like you would expect it to create a lot of conflict right uh since for like 20 years or more there was power was very in his hands and nobody else's but as i said there's this mentality that has been created where people just comply they see this as normal and the majority of people in a way praise the president and so there was not much conflict after it ended Uh, it just went straight like the new president, uh, Shavkat if he just took over, and people did not have much problem with that.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Uzbekistan has only had two presidents, yeah, since exactly. its independence. Yeah. Wow.
1: And it's been like thirty years. Wow. <laughs>
0: uh, well, I'm just curious: would that first president be considered a dictator?
1: Uh, well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like,
0: okay, okay. What social issues are most prevalent in Uzbekistan?
1: Mm, there are social issues than any type of social issue you could think of. It is here, but it's just not, it's very concealed I would say. But um, there's definitely a lot of like classism, like class issues. There are a lot of very rich people and there are a lot of people who are not as rich and the middle class is like very poor. And it also go like comes down to this power being very controlled and power being uh, limited to certain people. That creates a lot of division between classes. Like kind of, there's a lot of corruption Like, because of that as well, because all the choices that are being made kind of are made to benefit those people in power and their family kind of, and those families surrounding them and stuff like that. And that creates all sorts of issues. There is a lot of, when it comes to the treatment of women, Uh, like misogyny is very strongly prevalent and like women are in no way close to being equal to to how men are treated and uh, men are pretty much kind of in control of everything Uh, this comes from like also the religious aspect I guess also the way that religion is weaponized this is another one Uh, back in April there was a like an anti-LGBT protest that took place probably the first one and where a lot of kind of people who are the part of community got beat up and created a lot of disruption throughout the city because these people these men just went out like beating up whoever they thought would could have been like gay or anything like part of the community the thing is before that this has never been talked about and like kind of the community has always been kind of ignored and it's as if like it doesn't exist because there are not not many people who are like out and who talk about it. And for the first time, it came to the attention of the public. And there was this uh, activist, not even an activist, this blogger, like a TikToker, who would openly talk about this even before, who would openly talk about the LGBT community and their treatment, who would talk about just the government in general. And after that protest that took place back in April, there was an attack on him at his house, like outside of his house. And ever since like nobody knows what happened to him and nobody knows who was behind the attack so this goes back to like the censorship you know and how it's very dangerous for anyone to speak out and that goes to like influencers sort of bloggers and news sources and even like everyday conversations you have with people you know
0: wow that's a lot to unpack um (laughs) very
1: different from the original question
0: but yeah no literally this was perfect like I was gonna like social issues that I was thinking about was like sexism homophobia racism you know all that jazz so like you were talking about that you even brought in corruption and classism and and, like I was gonna ask you were talking about how like the sexism and that came from the religious values I was gonna ask like what's the most dominant religion in Uzbekistan is it Islam
1: yeah, it is Islam. Sorry, I forgot. Are you attention. are
0: you Muslim or are you?
1: Well, I myself I really identify with the religion. like my family is mm-hmm. my mom's side of the family is very like re- religious, very Muslim, but I myself am not.
0: Well, your dad's not Uzbek, isn't he? Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad's Korean, so my dad is kind of Catholic.
0: But do you think that like sexism and homophobia also comes from like the traditional values of just older generations?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, It's very, like, the sexism and homophobia, we could talk about racism as well here. It's all very tied to the older generation, because with the newer generation, things are changing a lot. Like, values are shifting, I guess, as uh, we become more, like, open to ideas with more information out there. Yeah, definitely, there is a shift in how, you know, how these issues are being looked at. And there's definitely more attention being brought to these issues. Also coming from the fact that earlier I mentioned how Uzbekistan is a post-Soviet country. Because of that, a lot of older generations, they have those that Soviet mindset because of that. Like a lot of these issues continue to exist. And this also comes from the, the sense of patriotism that the government tries to instill. Like I remember when I used to go to a public school here, uh, elementary school, and every classroom, like these little kids, they have on the front like wall where the board is on top of the board you have like an image of like of the president and so like from a very young age you're very like uh, conditioned to to liking the government and kind of like forced into it even and then they go on to accept like everything that comes with the government and like all these social issues even they become you know like the norm and like the values and everything that they just go and accept everything this blinded patriotism that The government kind of wants to push upon people.
0: I think that's interesting to talk about. But I guess another question I have is that, would you say that like people, the people are proud to be Uzbek? Yeah. Like, like, do you think that patriotism is authentic? Like it comes from them? Or do you think it's because like the communities just like ingrain like the government or like the government tries to just inject, you know, the president is amazing and all that.
1: You see that's an interesting question because at some point those two like different types of patriotism you could say probably they become blended
0: mm-hmm. because
1: like you don't really know where the line is between genuine patriotism and genuine pride you know in being Uzbek and well people definitely think they are authentically you know patriotic and all that uh, and that's also kind of becoming more faded. With, with the younger generations. Like, what
0: exactly is getting more faded?
1: The sense of patriotism, uh, whether it be authentic or forced, like in general, that sense is becoming kind of less because people are learning to kind of, I guess, you know, as they're like open to more outside world and as they learn more about it and stuff like that, they, they, they are no longer blindly patriotic, I would say, even though a lot of people still love the country they're becoming to notice more of its issues. and.
0: Gotcha. I get that. I mean, I think that's interesting to bring up about how the, the younger generation is becoming more open-minded and, like, more aware of, like, different places from around the world and how the world works in a way. Um, I guess, like, one question was, do you think that the, the older generation was able to grasp at, like, how other parts of the Soviet Union were different because well obviously correct me if i'm wrong i don't feel like the soviet union was all the same you know like from turkmenistan to estonia i don't think like i feel like the cultures were way different even within those regions so there were multiple ethnicities like different ethnic groups within the soviet union right Mm -hmm, yeah
1: Um, so
0: then how would the older generations like not able be able to like Open their mind to other ethnicities within their own union, I guess.
1: Well, uh, I think even back then, even though there were a lot of different ethnicities, a lot of different nationalities, you know, that went into being like the Soviet Union, there were much more like those differences were less than like what bonded them. Because uh, I think the values and the principles, like everything was still pretty much uh the same, so I mean, the valleys and the principles they may, they created more similarities between them than the differences caused by like their ethnicities. For example, I think because of the Soviet Union, like even the older generations, they're very open to other ethnicities. Usually, you know, still even to this day, we have different ethnicities uh, here living. We have a lot of like people who are ethnically Russian. We have a lot of people who are like Kazakh, like pretty much all over, you know, from Soviet Union from the migrations back then.
0: Gotcha. That makes that makes more sense now. Now that you say I'm that,
1: sure, I'm not sure if that was your question, but yeah.
0: I mean, it. Yeah, I pretty much answered it. Next question is: Do you think that there's a shift in perspective in young people, or do young people still think that conflicts and social issues are valid?
1: Oh no, there. It definitely is a shift. Um, I wouldn't like. It's hard to generalize because I wouldn't say every young person, you know, has like like a a new perspective or like a different perspective from the older generations and also it's a little hard for me to judge because it could just be you know the matter of the people i'm surrounded by like the bubble that i am in but um generally i would say like from what i see obviously uh there is a shift and people are definitely more open-minded and everyone is um everyone notices like the issues and a lot of people are very strongly like they've they have a very strong position and like
0: okay, okay. Um, well, I think that's great to hear that I mean, at least in your in your bubble in your community, that there's a shift in perspective in young people. But would you say that like at least most of the young people in Tashkent, like, you know, I feel like in bigger cities or more developed cities, um young people are acts have access to more of the world compared to people that are not in as Biggest cities so maybe like you know the young people of tashkent at least
1: yeah for sure I think that's a really, really good point you're making um is a difference in you know how people are in tashkent and uh, other like cities around like the young generation in tashkent for sure is much more like i guess you could say progressive but also that can't be extrapolated you know to the entirety of tashkent because even mm-hmm. there And certain people have more access to, you know, these other perspectives and um, seeing how the world works, uh, not just where we are, but, you know, around us.
0: So do you keep up with politics and government in your country or not really?
1: Um, Well, I definitely try as much as I can, uh, but there's just not much to keep up with, as I feel like, with the politics in the country there isn't much change and there aren't that many things happening within the government to keep up. With. Like, uh, definitely when there it comes to like international affairs sort of, or like, you know, locally there isn't much going on.
0: And do you think that's because of the censorship?
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, definitely because of that. Cause like, obviously the government only shows us what they want us to see, but also just, uh, there aren't many like reforms, for example, being done or not, not many new policies, being implemented, like, there isn't much going on politically, like, locally. Uh, There definitely is a lot more going, like, internationally with Uzbekistan uh, as the country tries to be more active uh, internationally.
0: Well, like, how so? How is Uzbekistan being more more active internationally?
1: Like, within, like, the Central Asian region, for example, they constantly have, like, visits with the presidents to... It's usually like, it's not necessarily political, like it's more like infrastructure, like stuff like that, that they uh, kind of um, discuss, (laughs) but there isn't much going on, like not many like social issues, stuff like that.
0: Would you say that like Uzbekistan gets along with other, other countries in Central Asia or like at least, you know, if you met someone from Kazakhstan or someone from Tajikistan, would you guys get along?
1: Oh yeah, both like politically, like the governments, if that's what you mean, like they do get along and like socially. Like me personally, for example, if I'm like as a citizen, yeah, as a citizen uh, as well, I think we do get along pretty well, like there aren't many conflicts between like those countries and um, for sure. Yeah. And I think there's more that like bonds us that's and like that brings us together than separates us. It's uh, generally like across across Central Asia, there's um, there's a lot of similarities and like mindset situations are pretty similar and across those countries like politically socially like on all levels even though they're varying like you know degrees for sure Mm -hmm. like in kazakhstan is like way more progressive uh even though it's still like like controlled governmentally and stuff some countries might be behind but still there's a lot of similarity there are a lot of similarities
0: that's really cool to hear and it's very interesting to think about like you know how so many countries are more similar than we think
1: yeah and culturally as well like culturally historically like uh, we have a lot in common so yeah
0: that's awesome okay back to like government and politics how do you get your information like what sources do you use
1: well so if we're talking about local like uzbek news local uzbek politics stuff like that uh it comes from local sources uh that there aren't that many out there there are only few sources and there really aren't any like authentic sources all of them are controlled all of them um post pretty much only what the government wants them to post and or like to release yeah i think one of the like a big source is news that's what they're called and yeah like what they post is pretty controlled and sometimes they do release like lately they've started releasing more like opinion pieces kind of and like more commentaries but it's very Still, like they don't have the freedom that they would want to have, you know, for example.
0: Yeah, I get that.
1: Yeah. Doing journalism in Uzbekistan is pretty impossible because you pretty much just release what they tell you to release and there are a lot of and there's a lot of censorship and there are a lot of like imprisoned uh journalists so it's a very scary field
0: all right then that's that sounds a little intimidating <laughs> do these news sources want to be able to have that freedom of speech and like you know express more about politics
1: well I think so but there aren't many attempts being done necessarily because I think of like the history of journalism in Uzbekistan there are a lot of like a lot of of journalists who had to either like like leave the country uh, or that have been imprisoned and like politically, you know. Uh, So I don't think there are many attempts being done. Like, I don't know if they want to, they probably do. You know, that's the nature of journalism. Like there are many attempts being done or even if there are probably before people would find out about it, they would be silenced.
0: And, you know, you were talking about how like some of the news sources are more about like commentary. Like they more comment on news instead of like giving facts, is it?
1: Well, n- no, mostly it is like straight up facts and like what happened and there are, isn't much like opinion being given about what happened, you know, it's just like, oh, today this happened at this time and like this is why, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, as I said, lately they have started releasing more. Uh, this news source that I follow, for example, they Start releasing more and more like commentaries like i think recently they released a commentary on something covid related and like how the government handled it i might be wrong here like they have started releasing more commentaries and like opinion pieces but uh, which has been surprising to me but they're still very like you know careful about how they phrase things how they say things like
0: okay because i was gonna say i'm very curious to hear like how a news source would be able to Mm -hmm. uh, give commentaries while keeping it like legitimate facts you know like things that actually happened i was just talking about like if there was a specific bias
1: i think the bias is it's pretty much from it's towards the government you know Mm -hmm. and or or it's neutral the news that could be used against the government they would just not be released, you know? So yeah, there is bias towards the government.
0: So <laughs> it's funny. Um, one of my next questions was, is there a noticeable censorship in your country?
1: Oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> No comment. But anyways, next question. Do you have a lot of friends from different countries? Or have you met a lot of people from different countries?
1: Mm, yeah, I definitely have a lot of friends and have met a lot of people from different countries i think because like attended international school and kind of grew up within like the international school system i have met a lot of people around the world and i think that has helped me shape kind of my perspective on things and like uh, my values
0: nice nice and these people that you've met are they mostly from like central asia or are they from europe or like all over
1: well kind of all over i would say yeah actually. Now that I think about it, I don't know that many people from Central Asia. More people from like the States, Europe, Asia.
0: That's awesome. And from these people that you meet that you meet, do you see more similarities or differences between these people?
1: Well, I definitely see a lot of differences culturally. but I think because a lot of the people that I meet, they're also like very international international, like where they come from like international schools, you know, stuff like that. Because of that, uh, we do have a lot of similarities. I think we've all learned to like, I think there's almost like a different culture, <laughs> w- like b- between these people. Uh, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but like, there's almost like, a, like a separate culture within like international schools and stuff like that, or like very shared, you know, because a lot of people have like very shared experiences, stuff like that, o- that almost makes creates its own culture
0: well i've never attended an international school
1: oh, I, I was under the impression that you do
0: no, no i don't okay. go to it i i go to an american school and oh, yeah. that's like in the u.s so like almost yeah. everyone is american except for like maybe like a couple chinese exchange students and like oh. one one kid was born in japan but that's it
1: <laughs> that's low diversity but oh yeah. i don't know I, I had this impression but yeah
0: no, yeah. but our our M U N team is actually pretty educated on different countries, so I guess that yeah. might be why. Like, do something?
1: you feel that there is almost like even like in Thaimun, like when you talk to other people, do you feel like like this culture is kind of like blended and everyone has like it's almost like its own culture? I don't know.
0: Do you like? Do you think I'm a part of it too? I think I know what it is. Everyone else that is not from the United States, I feel like they make a connection together because or it's like yeah but i feel like the u.s has been has become so like influential on like every single country around the world
1: americanized like almost
0: yeah Like, like westernized
1: westernized yeah oh yeah going back to like international schools you know they are very like westernized that is like the word they're, they're they're very westernized. And because of that, I think a lot of people can kind of like the differences that we have are they become less significant because of this influence that we all have. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. There definitely is a lot of decolonization that needs to happen. <laughs> but yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. And like because of these international schools, you feel like some people aren't as connected to their heritage as as much yeah. as they could be.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean by there's a lot of, like, decolonization that could happen, Mm -hmm. like, that needs to happen even. Because, yeah, people often, like, they're so, they're so deeply, like, within international schools, like, culture, I would say, that they don't, they're very disconnected from their own culture. less informed about, like, their own country than they are about, like, the states, for example.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I totally get that. Do you see young people advocating for peace and less conflict in Uzbekistan?
1: I wouldn't say there is necessarily a lot of advocacy going on just because there aren't that many opportunities for people to advocate for anything really. But um people are definitely like younger generations are definitely more aware, they're more informed about, you know, these issues that could, could cause conflict and they're more aware about the importance of peace and etc but they just don't have like a chance to advocate, you know, because you really can't go out there and protest like that's not something that happens here. And there definitely are actually a lot of um, very small scale campaigns that are starting to take place. And oh, recently there were actually a couple for like women's rights and yeah, like sexual violence and different kinds of violence towards women. And there, there were a couple of campaigns like against that, et cetera so there yeah well there is a lot more like advocacy but it's just not on that scale that we wish it could be on. you know for now there's definitely progress
0: well that's good that there's progress um i'm guessing that the lack of advocating has come from the censorship i'm guessing
1: yeah Yeah, again it goes back to that
0: yeah definitely although i want to go back to this thing really quickly you were talking about like there was this anti-lgbt protest or would that be considered a protest or were more one of of those campaigns that you were talking about
1: well okay that that wasn't necessarily like a protest i think that's just the best name for more it was more like a bunch of men coming from different parts of uzbekistan to like this main like district where a lot of like young people hang out uh and they were just like going through the streets and like just beating people up (laughs) like that's what it was more of yeah it wasn't necessarily like a protest where they had like signs whatever and they were like but they had like a certain message and they were just it was more of a violent way more violent
0: one last question how can young people help spread awareness to advocate for peace in uzbekistan
1: There's not that many ways that you can do it in a big way necessarily, but on social media, uh, I guess, is one of the ways. Probably that is the best option, but in a very, like, low-key way and not, as long as it's not, like, on a big scale and as long as you're being very careful with what you say. Like, social media is a really good option. If you do become, like, more popular, for example, you're being a little more, like, opinionated, you know, a little more harsh with, like, your opinions, then that becomes dangerous. (laughs) So, well, but... Generally, I would say it's like social media campaigns are becoming very popular lately, like different like human rights campaigns, stuff like that.
0: Awesome. I mean, it's so interesting. Out of all the other 21 people that I've talked to, almost everyone has said social media is the best way. Really? And yeah. So I think it's interesting to think about how, you know, that power that social media really has. And like you can just send a message to the whole public and then like it'll go viral. I think it's crazy. Just the that way is, social media works.
1: That is crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so we're halfway through. Now we're gonna go to the f- the food and culture.
1: That's the s- fun part.
0: Yes, I'm so excited about the, f- the food part, obviously.
1: I promise it's great food, it has great culture, it has great people.
0: So what are some of the most popular dishes in Uzbekistan? Like, is there a national dish?
1: Okay, so I would say there are a couple. One of the most popular ones is like samsa, and it's pretty much a bun stuffed with uh, like onion and meat, or you can put uh, vegetables, you can put like uh, potatoes, a very popular option. And uh, it's just so good. That th- sounds so basic, but it's just one of the best things you'll ever have. <laughs> and you have it with like a sauce usually, and you dip it with, like a tomato sauce. And it's so good. <laughs> um, nice.
0: And what are some others?
1: Okay, the next one is like mantri. And it's like a big, big dumpling, pretty much. Also made out, like, usually you make it with meat, but it's really cool when it's with potato as well. And you make it with, what is it called? Um, Like this vegetable.
0: Say it in Russian.
1: Tikva. (laughs) Tikva.
0: Uh... Pumpkin,
1: pumpkin. pumpkin. Oh my God. (laughs) I forgot forgot what pumpkin is. But yeah, it's literally pumpkin. And sometimes they make it with that. And I don't know if that sounds disgusting, but it's actually really, really good.
0: You know what's so funny is that, so my dad is Mexican, Tex-Mex. He, he's from Texas, but his family's Mexican. And he his mom would make this thing called empanadas that are like stuffed um, pastries. And mm. his mom would always fill them with tikva with pumpkin.
1: Mm, oh, you know a new word. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that so good?
0: Well, is like adding pumpkin, does that make it more of a dessert or is it like a savory dish?
1: No, it's like legit like a dish. Like It's, it's not a dessert.
0: Yeah. It's not a dessert. Okay, okay. And it's like
1: imagine a big dumpling stuffed with pumpkin. That really sounds disgusting. <laughs> I promise, I promise. It's so good.
0: And it's called manti.
1: It's called manti, yeah.
0: You know what is so funny is that in so when I interviewed my friend from Turkey, one mm-hmm. of the dishes that he talked about was mantu. And they're oh. really, really tiny little dumplings.
1: Really? No, these yeah. are like big.
0: Oh, okay. So like this is like a big dumpling
1: like yeah it's a big dumpling really tiny
0: yeah like here i'll show you a picture of manta but i still think that's so funny is that like you guys have the exact same name for a dumpling
1: <laughs> yeah i think that's like we have small ones those are like pilmeni but that's like a russian
0: yeah yeah that. but you you guys have pilmeni also in uzbekistan yeah,
1: we have a lot of the question food yeah they're more like big like that.
0: oh wow those look like um the the mongolian style um booze oh i don't know oh okay they look busting let me just say like damn those look really good manti and the samsa samsa
1: it's different from other like central Asian countries when it comes to plov i think
0: that like plov came from uzbekistan did it
1: every country t- tries to claim plov i feel like i don't know where it actually came from well here we say it came from here <laughs> but
0: <Yeah. laughs>
1: I read originally it comes from India actually oh, cool. as a operator, but
0: yeah, but it has yeah.
1: spread through Central Asia, I guess.
0: In the India interview, it'll be from India. In this interview, it'll be from Uzbekistan.
1: Plov <laughs> is love as, yeah probably like the national dish, um, okay. but it's one of those dishes like it is across central asia but everywhere it's done a little differently like even in uzbekistan in tashkent oh wait, across regions is done differently basically in tashkent it's done differently in samarkand it's done differently uh in bukhara like my mom's family's from bukhara and it's done completely different than they do it here uh but even in one place like in tashkent there's like the wedding plot which is different and there's like chaykhana plot. i don't know how you translate that But basically, even within one region, region, there can be different types of plov. In some places, the rice is darker, more fried. and some places, like, they add certain things in it. Like, they don't add in other places, stuff like that. Nice, Um, nice.
0: You know, it's so funny. So, I went to a Russian-Georgian restaurant, and I had plov there. Was it good? The thing is, it was really, really sweet. I I didn't know if it's it's supposed to be sweet.
1: Not really, no.
0: And, like, it had a lot of carrots in it.
1: Oh, it's... I, I no, it's not supposed to have that many I mean it's supposed to have carrots
0: but. yeah yeah but but like you could taste the carrots like it was like the carrots gave like a really strong flavor so like it tasted sweet but it was still good I mean I'm guessing it wasn't authentic though but oh well
1: know, like a Russian Georgian restaurant I don't know how good it would be but
0: it wasn't bad I'll admit it you know does the Uzbek plov have any meat in it like is it yeah. served with meat
1: yeah it is served with meat usually lamb yeah beef sometimes you nice nice yeah it's served with meat it's served usually like they serve a like, big big pieces of meat and then you break it up yeah
0: like, it it looks really good
1: it is really good i could have a yes. breakfast lunch there.
0: <laughs> is it is it a common breakfast dish or is it just like any time of the day
1: You you have any time of the day, for breakfast basically there's this thing there's this wedding cloth or ash we, can, we also call it ash and there's this thing like on wedding days at 6 a.m or like at 7 a.m. men like all the men are invited to go have like wedding osh basically yeah you have it for breakfast making like huge like humongous pots like really big all the guests who are men like or like relatives of the family just getting married whatever everyone is invited to go have that so it could be like a morning dish <laughs> usually there are a lot of like plough centers where they like mm-hmm and they usually make at 12 noon so it's like lunch
0: yeah gotcha gotcha okay oh my god so i was watching this youtube video about like these market centers or like these marketplaces in uzbekistan and i saw like the way like the bread was made and like the bread looked very different from like any other bread i've seen like around the world it literally looks like art like, just the bread, like...
1: Yeah, I love that, too. And it's also different throughout. I don't know which bread you saw, like, probably from Tashkent. But it's different throughout. Like, they make it differently. Like, the art is different. And, like, some are, like, different cities. And it's really cool.
0: Here, I want to pull up some pictures of, like, which ones I've seen. Because I've seen multiple different types of shapes. So, like, I've seen, the like, the giant ring. And then I'll see one with, like, different types of um, braids.
1: Yeah. Oh, mm uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, pretty much it's how they make bread. And uh, it smells so good. Like, whenever you pass by those places that make bread, it just, like, smells throughout the entire
0: street. And so... I randomly looked up, like, just flights to, like, Tashkent, and they were so expensive. What the heck?
1: Well, it's probably... Far, yeah, it's pretty far from you.
0: Yeah. But, like, to go to... Even to go to, like, Japan, it was, like, way cheaper to go to Japan than it is to Uzbekistan, like...
1: Oh damn. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> and like isn't there a huge inflation? Yeah. Like so
1: Yeah, so like one dollar is like more than ten thousand, almost like eleven thousand soon.
0: Wow. All right. Anyways, back to the food. Um what is your favorite Uzbek dish?
1: It has to be plov. Like I'm gonna go with the plov because it is. It's just, I love it because there's so many different ways it's done. And like, like, as I said, even throughout Uzbekistan, like in different regions. And uh my favorite is the Bukhara plov. I was it's about right. to
0: ask, what's your favorite region that has the best plov?
1: Yeah, my favorite is the Bukhara plov. Because uh, as I mentioned, like my mom, her family is from Bukhara. And that's like what my grandma makes. <laughs> so it's like really
0: what um, makes the plov in Bukhara different from the plov in Tashkent?
1: Yeah, I, I'm not going to be able to tell you what exactly, like, how what you make differently, but it's, like, way lighter, like, the color. It's, like, very light, like, closer to white. And and some of them use different types of rice, although I'm not, like, I'm not really a pro. Like, I wouldn't be able to tell you which rice it uses. But they use different types of rice and stuff. Different types of carrots as well. Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. like that's too. interesting. Yeah, even those details, like it makes a difference, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask, like, do different spices go into it as well?
1: I think they're seasoned kind of the same.
0: Well, I'm just thinking like, you know, there are some spices that can change the color.
1: I think it's friedland. I might be wrong. Like, I really have, I should know this. And I'm ashamed that I don't, but I really don't.
0: (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. Well, have you made plov before?
1: No. It looks so, it is so difficult to make it. Have you tried making it?
0: Girl, I didn't even know this existed until just recently. <laughs> like,
1: Well, I assume that you've made like every food out there in the world. I, but
0: I wish. I wish. You know what? I'll come to Uzbekistan and we'll we'll learn together from your grandmother in Bukhara.
1: Period. <laughs> yes.
0: So then we can like pass it on. You can pass it on to like the other generation of Uzbeks, you know?
1: Let's do that. Yeah, I know. I have not made it. It just looks... It is so difficult to make and... It takes hours and hours to, like, make
0: it. Mm, gotcha, gotcha. All right. Um, so do you have, like, a special dish or family recipe that gives you, like, good memories?
1: I hate to go back to this, but it'll have to be pulled up again. And it's not, like, because well, you said it gives you special memories. And it's just whenever I'm abroad... I'm thinking about plov, like if I miss home, it's like, oh, I wish I could have my grandma's plov right now. That's like a thought. Because um, I just grew up like having it. And uh, whenever like I would visit my grandma, when she would visit us here, like that's like the dish I would have. And yeah, so that is like kind of a staple dish for me.
0: That's so sweet.
1: It's like, I'm not sure about a special recipe.
0: Well, it was just like a dish, just like dishes yeah. overall.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So it would be
0: plov. <laughs> definitely plov yeah all right um now this kind of goes ties back to like the different regions but does your family make any dishes differently compared to others does your uzbek family add something different to you know that that most families wouldn't do
1: i think i'm gonna go back to plov again yeah (laughs) and (laughs) this like i really don't know about the specifics but it's just a different type of plov. I know the carrot is different than the add. I know the rice is different. I'm not sure, like, the exact types, but it's different. And my grandmother does this thing where she mixes always lamb and beef. I don't know why, but she says that makes it taste better.
0: And do you think it does?
1: Well, I'm not a big fan of lamb, so I just eat <laughs> the beef. <laughs> <But> oh.
0: <laughs>
1: maybe I'd add some sort of flavor, but I'm not really sure. I'm not sure if... I don't think that's done, like, in plov, but... Like My grandma adds like chili peppers basically. Oh, okay. Love, and if you want to, you can like when you're eating it, you can break it and then basically add the flavor. But you don't have to. If you, like if you don't want it spicy, it can't be not.
0: Is Uzbek yeah. food typically spicy?
1: No, it's not.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, okay, okay. I think this answers the next question, but what is a dish from your country that when I traveled there, I can't miss?
1: You can't miss? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and going back to Plov, you cannot miss Plov. And it's the best if you get go to those like Plov centers, like where they open these giant pots of like Plov at like 12 or something p.m. And like, there's a lot of people like waiting like to get it for lunch. You have to go try it. It's so good. And like, usually when they make it, they have different pots, like different types that you can choose. And like you can try different ones and let me know which one you like best.
0: Definitely the one with the beef. Or the way you like it. I feel like you're just a connoisseur of plav. Like, you've tried so many different types of plav. Yeah, I know nothing
1: about it, but...
0: (laughs) You can tell when there's a good one or not.
1: Yeah, I can tell what tastes good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. What does food mean for Uzbek culture? Would you say that food is important in Uzbekistan?
1: Yeah, it definitely is. Like, for certain, like, celebrations, occasions, there's certain food that you make, you know, like I said, for weddings, like, in the morning um men go to have plov and like for example there is a celebration nabruz it's a on the 21st of march and it's like the new year like the traditional new year where you yeah, have sumalak like that's uh like not a dish more of like like food like is very important and a lot of Uzbeks are like they pride themselves in their food like in the food a lot.
0: Nice, nice. And what's the name of the dish that you would that like is common on Nabruz is it?
1: Uh, yeah sumalak. Like it's not a dish; it's it's a paste. Yeah, uh, they make it in these giant pots, and like traditionally, you basically mix it overnight, like the whole night. Uh, usually, communities will come together and like mix them in these giant pots, and yeah, nowadays you usually make it and you give it to like your neighbors, stuff like that.
0: What does it taste like?
1: Okay, so it's made from wheat. Like I, don't, I can't tell you what it tastes like. It tastes sort of like less sweet chocolate. Like that's if you had like melted chocolate almost like that but like less sweet and so like
0: more like really dark chocolate
1: Mm, it's actually not that dark it's very like it's very brown
0: (laughs) i'm gonna look it up right now so oh i found it i found it it look okay you know what's funny is that it looks like this thing that we have in like latin america called dulce de leche and it's a lot like a caramel
1: caramel well sort of yeah it can taste like caramel god this
0: looks good
1: something like sweet but you can't really
0: imagine this with the uzbek bread oh, my
1: oh God. Yeah, that's how you eat it you usually eat it with bread and stuff
0: okay that 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 that, that sounds worth
1: it and you should come in like march
0: <laughs> yes yes during Nabruz. okay i know the answer to this but i'm gonna ask anyway what dish makes you feel a sense of home <laughs>
1: I'm gonna keep answering plov to every question there is to come. But yeah, once again, it's plov. Uh, it just yeah, it feels so home, like so homey.
0: Would you say like that's the most Uzbek dish? Yeah, and also because of that,
1: because it is like the most Uzbek dish, and I think like if you asked anyone from Uzbekistan, they would probably most likely say plov.
0: I mean, hey, you guys have a right to. You guys have like a great dish. Like it's plov.
1: Do you know about shashlik? This is random. Isn't that
0: like lamb? Or beef,
1: That's, yeah, yeah, just like meat, like grilled kind of.
0: That's what it was called, shashlik. That dish, the food that I ate at the Georgian restaurant.
1: Oh, was that shashlik?
0: I think okay.
1: so. Georgian version.
0: But what exactly is the Uzbek shashlik?
1: There are different types of shashlik, not like not as in like Uzbek, Georgian, etc. Just like different different ways it could be done in general.
0: Honestly, just grilled meat and love. You, can, you really cannot go wrong. Okay, so I have two more questions. Let's say I'm coming to Uzbekistan. Mm-hmm. Where would you recommend me to go?
1: Oh, okay. I think this is pretty obvious. Um you you would definitely have to go to Samarkand.
0: Samarkand. Buhara, Buhara Buhara. And-
1: and there's Hiva. Those three cities, they're like very ancient cities. Like all the history is kind of like kept, and they everything is still in place, and like all those buildings, and you can see all the like, everything like from the Silk Road, etc. Like that is left from back then. And it has beautiful, beautiful buildings, beautiful, like, like everything is basically like preserved. Definitely those three cities that you have to visit.
0: So Samarkand, Bukhara, and what was the other one? Hiva? Yeah. Where's that one? Is that one, like, close to...
1: No, it's, like, further. So, like, there's Tashkent, and then Samarkand is, like, closer to Tashkent, and there's Bukhara, and then there's Hiva.
0: Oh, okay. So it's, like, west of Bukhara.
1: I think so, yeah. It's way less known for some reason than, like, Bukhara and Hiva, and Samarkand. Those are, like, more known.
0: Oh, that's, like, very close to Turkmenistan. Anywhere that's got Uzbek culture and history and food and plov, I'm in. <laughs> Anywhere with plov, I'm in. <laughs> Since you live in Tashkent, would you recommend tourists to visit Tashkent?
1: Like, it's very urbanized and there's just not much to see. I think one thing that would be interesting to see is, like, uh, there's still a lot of Soviet kind of architecture and how that, like, that in contrast with, like, the more modern architecture and stuff, that could be interesting for someone, maybe. Uh, Other than that, there isn't much to... Like, explore here. Usually, I think when people think of Uzbekistan, they think about like Samarkand Bukhara, the, those kind of cities, like the ancient history and stuff. Mm-hmm. So if that's where you're coming for, to Uzbekistan, there isn't really much to see in Tashkent. If you want to see some of the nature, for example, not, not far from Tashkent, there are like mountains here and there are a lot of like, ski resorts and stuff. But I don't think that's what people come to Uzbekistan for, you know? So
0: I don't know. I've never been to Uzbekistan yet. <laughs> Yes. So yes, yet. I'm very emphasizing the yet. So last question, I want you to imagine that you meet someone that has never heard of Uzbekistan before.
1: It's definitely a very interesting country with a lot of like historical influences, like from being a part of the Soviet Union to being a part of the like, a very important part of the Silk Road. And, you know, and because of those um, events, I guess, or like influences, there's a lot to see here. And because of the both both of those events there's so much diversity in uzbekistan so both the soviet union and like the Silk Road the brought a lot of ethnical for example diversity and yeah i think that is in a way unique and very interesting so definitely give it a visit
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> for <that>. sure <laughs> definitely <feel> like
1: advertising <laughs> but yeah
0: but hey i guess from and the like, culture from the food like you have the right to advertise it like it's just an amazing country
1: yeah, yeah. and as i was talking about like diversity like not only like ethnically but also like very diverse culture very diverse like food There's like a lot of different types of food here uh earlier i was talking about like how politically it might not be the best country but i think despite that we have like very amazing people and like
0: definitely country that needs to be on people's bucket lists
1: mm-hmm. sure
0: all right diana That's a wrap. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I had so much fun learning more about Uzbekistan. How do you say thank you for your time in Uzbek? Or, wait, do you know how to speak Uzbek, or is your Russian better?
1: Yeah, I, do you want me to say it in Uzbek?
0: Well, maybe both Uzbek and Russian, I guess. Well,
1: in Russian or like thank you for your attention would be like Спасибо за
0: <laughs> yeah. Nimanye.
1: Yeah, in Uzbek you would say rahmat."
0: That sounds very different. <laughs>
1: Like, Etworingis uchun
0: Etworingis <laughs> uchun.
1: Rahmat. <laughs> Gahmat.
0: Rahmat. Tahmat. <laughs> no, Rahmat. Like, Diana, whatever that is. <laughs> that, <laughs> <Wait>. phrase. <laughs> that phrase. That phrase <laughs> is just like thank this... you.
1: uchun.
0: <laughs> Etworingis uchun. Rahmat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's perfect.
0: <laughs> Diana, Etworingis uchun. Rahmat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 that's perfect. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to my Global Youth's Perspective podcast. My goal is to share insight into the lives and cultures of my friends around the world, and hopefully we can listen to each other, bridge our differences, and make this world a better place.